Good evening, everyone. A warm welcome to the service tonight. Callum will lead us in prayer in Gaelic, please. Amen. If you could turn now, please, in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, and we'll read the whole of this chapter. This is God's Word. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his life, his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that the stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. 
whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man, while he lives the days, the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us and give us understanding as uh, we study it. Let's unite our hearts in prayer as we turn back to this passage. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that we have sang. Uh, We thank you for the joy of your salvation of us. We thank you that it's a gift, it's a free gift, the gift of grace, as the children reminded us this morning. We thank you for the joy and the assurance that we have when we are found in Christ. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark, that you've not left us without hope. We thank you that you have not left us as a people who are who are wandering and straining and and reaching to try to, to earn our own salvation or, or buy our own salvation. Uh, we know that there are many people uh, who are trying to accumulate good religious works that they can present as part of a, a portfolio that they believe may be acceptable at the end of the day. And yet we know that our good works will never save us. Religion without Christ will never save us. Our best endeavours will never save us. No other religion, no other name, no other way will lead us to salvation save that of Christ, your Son, our Saviour. And so we thank you that all that David the psalmist looked forward to, we look back on in Christ. We thank you that the, the salvation, the cleansing from sin that was promised in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus. We think of all the sacrifices that were offered up over many, many hundreds of years, all pointing to the uh, the sacrifice that would be sufficient, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And we thank you that when we are trusting in Jesus, we have the promise of sins forgiven. We think of the preciousness of that promise. We think of David at the time he composed that psalm so weighed down with sin, so ashamed by the sin that not only was within his heart, but had burst out into the public domain. And yet we thank you that for him and for everyone, there is forgiveness, there is cleansing, there is salvation for all who confess sin and look to Jesus. So we pray that we would, each one of us, acknowledge the fact that we are sinners and we pray that each one of us would, would be turned unto thee, that we would look to and trust in, in Christ. We thank you for the cross, that place that we must never drift from, that place that we must never lose that sense of wonder and awe as we look upon. We thank you for the blood that was shed to pay the price for all the offences that we have accumulated against you. And we thank you that when Jesus died, The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, showing that the way into the presence of God is now clear, it's now open. And sinners like us are able to come and know that we will find rest, that we will find acceptance, that we will find satisfaction, 
that we will find everything that we need in Jesus. So help us, we pray, to come. Maybe tonight there's someone who needs to come for the first time. Maybe in the building here, maybe watching at a distance. Someone that you have been striving with in the power of the Holy Spirit, who has come to understand that they are sinners, who has come to see the relevance of the cross. We pray that for any such that they would come, not hesitate, not harden their hearts, but that they would come to Jesus seeking that forgiveness and that salvation that he is so ready to give. And we pray for all those who are in Christ, those who, who are believers, those who are following, those who are disciples. Help us to come uh, day by day and receive that grace that's sufficient for everything that we need. So meet with us, Lord, we pray, at the point of our need. Uh, quicken us, refresh us, help us, strengthen us, uh, guide us, Lord, give us wisdom. You know our lives, you know our situations, and we pray uh, for your help. We pray for those who are absent from us uh, this evening who would desire to be here. Again, Lord, we pray for those who are ill. We think of Angus Alec. We pray for Neil Cameron. We pray for Mary, uh, who was with us this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would be near to each of them, uh, that you would strengthen them, that you would protect them. And for Mary, as she waits for, for tests this week, uh, we pray that these tests would give encouragement. We pray, Lord, again uh, for your healing of her. And we know, Lord, that sometimes you can use medicine, the medicine of this world, and sometimes there can be a supernatural touch. But we bring her to you, and we ask that uh, you would be with her, uh, that you would, if it's your will, heal her. And, Lord, we pray that she would know your grace and uh, your peace. And for Connor and for Anthony, and for Christian, and for all of the family, we pray that you would uphold them at this time. We thank you, Lord, for prayers that we have seen answered, even this week, as we think of Neil, as we think of Angus Alec, having come through uh, surgeries, as we think of Shona here with us tonight, and Margaret, who was here this morning, and many others, Lord, that we have prayed for, sometimes openly and sometimes in the secret places. Uh, we thank you that you are the God who hears and who answers prayer. For, so for all those who, who would love to be here, but who are not able tonight, we pray your blessing upon them. And we pray also, Lord, for those who, who are able, uh, who have strength, who have health, uh, who have opportunity, and perhaps just don't have the desire to be in the house of God. And we ask, Lord, for your touch upon their lives, that you would draw them, uh, that those who are strangers to Christ would come to see him and to trust him. And for those who may have drifted a little from Jesus, we pray uh, that they uh, would come back. And that any who may be sitting even in the chairs tonight, but who are distant from Jesus, Lord, that uh, we would come and that we would know uh, the embrace of the Father. So hear our prayers. Help us as we come to this difficult passage. Give us understanding. Uh, give us wisdom. Uh, work, Lord, we pray, uh, through the power of your Spirit. We thank you that the same Spirit who inspired Solomon to write these words is with us tonight, and we pray that he would be our teacher. And we ask all these things together with the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 6, if you could have that open in front of you, please. As I was thinking about uh, 
Ecclesiastes, uh, the, the book and the chapters that we've been in over, over past weeks. My mind went back to, to university days, back to university in, in Aberdeen when um, I was studying divinity. And uh, there was a course that we were required to do, and the course was called Popular Spirituality. And uh, in that course, we were taught about all kinds of strange uh, belief systems. And we were taught about New Age thinking. We were taught about uh, Eastern religions and uh, all kinds of things that were way out left field. And I remember that the, the, the professor who taught the class was a, a man called uh, John Drain. He was a minister, a Baptist minister turned academic. And he was a likable guy. And a pointy chin and a wee wispy beard. Um, but he was a hard guy to figure out. And he would talk at length about what other people believed. And he would expound all these uh, strange theories that would come under the heading of popular spirituality. But, but every now and again, it's as if he would kind of put down the textbook and step away from the course syllabus. And he would open the Bible and he would tell us what he really thought. And these were the classes that I remember. And it seems as we've been studying through Ecclesiastes, uh, we were in Ecclesiastes 5 last week. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, it's as if Solomon, uh, who is the, the teacher in wisdom literature, uh, who is teaching this course called Life Under the Sun, it's as if he steps out of the classroom for a moment in Ecclesiastes 5 and he tells us what he really thinks. He's been teaching about the futility of living life uh, without God. He's been teaching us uh, what it looks like and he gives us this bleak picture of, of what it is like to experience life under the sun. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 at the beginning, it's as if he forgets for a moment that he's an academic he forgets about the course syllabus and he teaches us about fearing the Lord. He gives us a lesson in how we're to worship God with, with reverence and, and awe. And there's this, this window in Ecclesiastes 5 about how we're to fear God. And yet now as we move back into Ecclesiastes chapter 6, it's as if that door is closed again. And he goes from uh, talking about fearing God and worshipping God uh, back to thinking through the hopelessness of living a life without worshipping God. He goes back uh, to thinking through the reality of what it looks like to live a life that's simply just under the sun. So four points in the time that we have this evening. The first thing that we see is that there is no joy apart from God. There's no joy in life if all that we can experience is under the sun. No joy apart from God. Verses 1 and 2. There's an evil I have seen under the sun, says Solomon, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a, a grievous evil. Some of us are people watchers. Some of us uh, like to watch other people and observe just how, how, how life uh, is passing uh, by around us. And uh, whenever I have to go to the airport, I like to go 
if possible, an hour earlier than I have to go. And I like to sit, nothing I like better than just to sit with a coffee and um, a book on the table that I might uh, just dip into. But I just like to sit in an airport and I, I like to watch all the different kinds of people. And every kind of person, it seems, is in an airport. And uh, you, you see them passing and you watch these different relationships and you're thinking, I wonder how that person relates to that person. I wonder what they do. I wonder where they're heading. I wonder what that conversation's all about that's starting to get heated. And it's interesting to see uh, all these people and how they relate to each other. And Solomon, it seems, is a people watcher. He's a keen observer of life and He's a keen observer of what makes people uh, tick. And in verses 1 and 2, he, he shares his observations on a particular type of person. And if, we think in, if we're thinking in terms of an airport, this is, this is a, the kind of person who passes through an airport uh, and they have wealth. And you can see them as they, they pass through the airport. They're, they're on their way to the BA, um, business class, first class lounge. And they have their possessions, their Gucci suitcases, their Armani suits, and they have honour. They've got people running around after them. They've got people who are asking them if they've got everything that they need in the airport. People asking them if they're having a pleasant flight. They're a kind of cut above everybody else in the surrounding area in the airport. But you can watch them, says Solomon, and they, they, have, they have no joy. They might have a, a, a wide a film star smile. They might have a a golden brown tan, but there's no sparkle in the eyes. Uh, There's no joy because all they know and all they experience and all they're living for is is just limited to what's in this world. I saved a post on on social media uh, a week or two back and it was a a poster uh, of of Jim Carrey, the, the film star. He's a film star, comedian kind of character, and uh, he would be a he'd be a superstar. He, he'd be somebody who who is super rich, who's been super successful in all kinds of films. He appears to have it all, but by his own confession, he has no joy. And so I forgot to get the poster to put it on the screen, but the poster uh, is a picture of of the man with his, his face, and this is what he says. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. That's his quote. But there's many film stars and there's many rich celebrities and there's many uh, rock and roll uh, stars who, who appear to have everything. There's many people who are, who are strutting through airports uh, who are CEOs of these huge big companies and they appear to have everything, but they have no joy. And Solomon is teaching us repeatedly in this, uh, in this little book that getting rich and being famous and having wealth and having possessions and having status and having honor isn't the answer. So what's the answer or who's the answer? And the answer is Jesus. The whole of this, this book that's so bleak when it focuses in on what's under the sun is leading us to Jesus. Remember, at the birth of Jesus, the angels appeared to the shepherds and they said in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the truth that we are being guided towards in this book, the truth that Solomon doesn't get to, but the truth that we're being pointed to is the fact that joy comes from knowing Jesus as Savior. So if there's anyone tonight who's searching for joy, who knows the lack of joy, whether we've got little and we want much, or we have much and we're not sure what it all amounts to. What we're being taught here, what we're being led towards here, is the fact that there is joy found only in knowing Jesus as Savior. We sang in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. There's no joy apart from God. That's Solomon's uh, first point. Uh, but there's joy in knowing Christ. That's what we're heading for. The second point here is that there's no rest apart from God. No rest apart from God. And that takes us from verse 3 down to verse 6. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and also he has no body, or I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, but it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. The measurement of success and uh, accomplishment in, in this life, it varies depending on where we are, depending on when we live. Uh, there are different metrics, there's different measures for success. Uh, for some people, it's to do with how much money you have. We measure success in terms of the, the rich list. That's success, some people say. Other people, uh, the measures of success is, is to do with how big our, our houses are and how, how, how stylish they are. For other people, it can be to do with the kind of car that we drive or how much land that we've managed to buy, how many sheep we have on the croft, how many letters we have after our name, how many followers we have on social media. These can be measurements that people use to try to, to quantify success. And back at the time that Solomon wrote, uh, certainly wealth and possessions were, were a metric that were used to measure success, but so also were, were children, the size and the strength of a family. Uh, Warren Wearsby, the commentator, says, uh, here is a man, talking about the man that Solomon points us to in verses 3 to verse 6. Um, he says, here is a man with abundant resources and a large family, both of which to an Old Testament Jew were marks of God's special favor. But his family do not love him. For when he died, he was not lamented. That's the meaning of he has no burial, writes Wearsby. So it's a sad story. And yet it's not a, an uncommon story. How many successful people have we, have we heard of, uh, have we read of, who have many of life's good things, as it says in verse 4, and they may have large families, they may have had many relationships in this world, but when it comes to, to the end of the day, they have no lasting relationships, they have uh, no meaningful relationships, they've got no bond with their family, they have no rest in life. They have no rest in death. And that's the story, that's the picture that, that Solomon is telling, that he's, that he's painting. And then Solomon, as he goes from verse 3 to, to verse 5, 
uh, uses a, a really hard-hitting, almost seems insensitive, uh, an illustration, and it's the, the picture of a, of a stillborn child. And it's a painful picture, especially for, for some uh, who've experienced this. And yet it's a picture that uh, it's, it's included in this chapter. Solomon, uh, he uses it. So what does Solomon teach us through this illustration? Well, he teaches us that although this child doesn't experience much of life in this world, it finds rest, verse 5. Do you notice that? That's what we're told. It finds rest, eternal rest with the Lord. Riken, the commentator, says, The stillborn child never has to endure pain or see suffering or struggle with the guilt of conscious sin. The child is first to die and therefore the first to find its eternal rest. This thought, says Riken, has given at least some consolation to many parents who have suffered the all but unbearably painful loss of an infant. So it's a hard illustration. And yet in this verse, in this illustration, there's comfort for those who have who've suffered loss. There's assurance, there's reassurance for those who've experienced this kind of grief. And yet there's also this shocking contrast with the man who has the big family and the big house and the big car and the big bank balance, who never has and who never will find rest. And Solomon says in verse 6, even if this man uh, lives for 2,000 years, what's the point of living? What's the point in all the children? What's the point in all the money? What's the point in all the stuff? If he never finds rest. So what's the leading question? The leading question that Solomon is guiding us towards is the question of who can give us rest? And the answer, the children would tell us, is Jesus. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So it's a word for the the business exec. It's a word for the film star. It's a word uh, for the the man uh, who seems to have everything and yet has no rest. It's a word perhaps for someone here tonight who at two o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the morning can't find rest. Come to Jesus. There's no rest apart from God, but there is rest for all who will come to Jesus. Third point, no satisfaction apart from God. Verses 7 to to 9. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have? who knows how to conduct himself before the living. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. No satisfaction apart from God. And this is a a theme, it's a thread that runs all the way through the book. As you're reading through Ecclesiastes, you can't help but hearing uh, the rolling stones in the background. It's It's a background track. Uh, for this, this whole book, remember the, the Stones' favourite song, I can't get no satisfaction. 
They had money, they had fame, they had everything that uh, you could ever want in the eyes of this world. They tried every substance, every cistern, in order to try to get satisfaction, and they never got it. And so they write a song, and they say, I can't get no satisfaction, but I try, and I try, and I try. There's no satisfaction apart from God. And we can think about the the picture, the illustration, and uh, it applies at stomach level. Solomon, as he he writes, he takes that example in verse 7. We toil. Why do we toil? We toil in order to make money. Why do we need money? Well, we need money in order to buy food. And why do we need food? Because we need to eat. And so we eat. And on a Sunday afternoon, I can see it at 6, 7 o'clock, some of us have not just eaten, we've feasted. Because the eyes are telling the story. That we've feasted, we've had more calories than we needed. And at the end of a Sunday roast, as we're sitting there on the couch... We think we never want to see food again. But by early evening, we're back in the fridge and we're picking at the, the cold meat and we're scooping at the, the big tray of, of trifle because we're hungry again. And that's the experience of the rich and it's the experience of the poor. It's the experience of the wise man. It's the experience of the fool. And it applies at all levels. Not just at the, the stomach level, at the food level. It applies to uh, money. We can never have enough. It applies to possessions. It applies to qualifications. People who are chasing letters after their name and they spend their whole lives chasing doctorates. It applies to things like jackets and trainers. It applies to golf GTIs. Confession time. I remember George used to have a lovely golf GTI. I, I struggled not to covet it 25 years ago. I'm still coveting them now. But the thing is, there's no satisfaction. And getting more trainers, more jackets, more golf GTIs, more roast dinners, more money, more qualifications. It doesn't satisfy. There's no satisfaction apart from God. So what do we need to do? Where's the question leading us? Where is the teacher taking us? He's taking us to the gospel. And we can hear it in Isaiah. In fact, turn to Isaiah just for a moment. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, the same lesson that's coming in a different form. Isaiah, as he's pointing us forward to to Jesus, as he's introducing us to the, the, the gospel message, says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And in verse 2, uh, it's almost a lesson uh, for the, the man that Isaiah, that um, Solomon's, creating this picture of. Why do you spend your money, says Isaiah, uh, for that which is not bread, and your labor uh, for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make you with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord. Here's a word for the person who's not satisfied. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, 
and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, the, the satisfaction that our souls long for, the satisfaction that Isaiah prophesied of, the satisfaction that uh, Solomon is, is teaching us about, it comes in and through Jesus. And it's promised to all uh, who will simply come in faith to him. No satisfaction apart from God, but there is satisfaction for those who will come, who will seek the Lord. And the final thing, just a, a very brief word, is that there is no answers. There's no answers apart from God. And the, the chapter ends, it kind of ends bleakly, as, as often the chapters in Ecclesiastes do, uh, because Solomon is writing about life under the sun. Uh, he's thinking uh, philosophically. And like most philosophy classes, uh, he comes to the conclusion that uh, life is full of questions. But apart from God, if we're not looking to God, if we're not thinking theologically, there's no answers. Whatever, verse 10, has come to be, has already been named, and is known, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. You might wonder what Solomon talking about in verse 10. I think what Solomon's talking about in verse 10 is death. He's thinking about life and death. Sure, Oliot uh, says that he's speaking about mankind's undefeatable foe. No one can contend with him. That's with death and win. And so we look at life and we look at death and we think, what's the answer? What's the point? Where's the answer? How, how can we overcome death? And the answer is not age-defying cream. And the answer is not going to be found in, in this world medicine. The only one who is stronger than death, the only one who was able to contend with death and overcome death was Jesus. So we're being led to Jesus again. No answers under the sun to the whole problem of death. But there is an answer to death. There is hope beyond the grave for those who are in Christ. Verse 11 and 12, the more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives? The few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? And we can almost hear Solomon sigh. It's also tiresome, says Solomon. As he thinks about these questions, as he listens into this philosophy class, and they have more words and more debate and more questions, and they go round and round in circles. And we can just see the students, and they're debating the meaning of life. They're debating what happens in this world. They're debating what happens in the world beyond, if there is a world beyond. And that debate was going on thousands of years ago, far from here, and it's a debate that continues in the university classrooms today. And there are no answers apart from God. Who is able to tell us where we came from? God is, because he is our creator. He's the one who made us. Who is able to tell us what we are here for? God is, because he made us for himself. We find no rest till we have rest in him. Who is able to tell us where we're going? Only God is. These answers are not found in, in debates that happen in university halls under the sun these answers are found by looking to God, by listening to God, by trusting in God. He is our maker. He made us for himself to glorify him. That's where we find joy 
and when we come to the end of our days here in this life under the sun, he will take us to be with himself forever if we trust him. So trust him, whispers Solomon as he puts down the notebook and dismisses the students from the class. No answers apart from God. The answer is found in God, in trusting him. No satisfaction apart from God, but there is satisfaction for all who will seek the Lord, while he may be found. No rest apart from God, but there is rest promised to all who will come to Jesus. No joy apart from God, but there is everlasting joy for those who have Christ as their saviour. We'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for this book. We struggle with it at times. At times it's bleak. At times it seems uh, hard for us to understand and to process, but this is your word, and we pray that you would help us as we think through it, as we respond to it, we ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding, that you would, that you would uh, help us to meditate on all that is from you. And if there is anything that is not from you, that you would take it away from our minds. We ask, Lord, that you would give us faith, that we would respond uh, to all that we hear, that we would not live lives which are futile, lives which are just focused on all that's under the sun, we pray that we wouldn't live lives where we are just trying to accumulate more possessions and more money and more letters after our name, and more acclaim, more admiration from our fellow man. We know that none of these things satisfy. Help us, we pray, to find rest, to find satisfaction, to find joy in knowing you as our God, as our Father. Help us to know the, the blessing, the joy, the peace of knowing Jesus as our Saviour. And we pray that you would enable us to glorify him in all the days that we are given in this world. And we thank you that when that is our ambition, when that is the, the sum total of our lives, we are promised that when we go from this world, there is rest, there is joy, uh, there is bliss, there is endless in the place that you have prepared for all who have trusted you. Hear our prayers. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.